How's everybody? Awesome. Okay. We're going to be back continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, let me pray and um, then we'll get started. It's so cool how today's study goes so along with the music that we've been singing and then with the announcement that we just heard for the desire to serve people and and um, it's just cool how the Lord so how the Lord uh, orchestrates stuff as I've been studying this week and praying and thinking and now I get to share this part. So Father, thank you for today. As we were singing, I was just listening to everybody's voice and and uh, behind every voice is a story. Uh, behind every voice, there are circumstances going on in life. Um, gosh, that are difficult, probably. Um, there's some that, that are joyful, that are hard to navigate, that are confusing. That's just there's it's just life, Lord. We just uh, we just live this thing called life. But we're here to say that we don't have to live it together. We believe that you are the author of life. We believe that you give direction to life. We believe that you give ultimate meaning to life. And we believe that, that life is found in you. So, Lord, we open up your word. And uh, we believe it is a light unto our feet, to our path, and that it, that it illuminates the things going on inside of us. And it just shows us more of you. So that's our prayers. We open your word. Would you show us who you are in a more clear way? May we get to know you better and may we um, learn to, to walk with you even more. So we thank you and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, welcome to church. If, uh, if today is your first time at the bridge, what's up? It is nice to meet you. Hope you feel welcome and loved because you are. Um, we are going, as a church, we're going through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis, it means beginning. So we're going all the way back to the beginning of things. The reason we've chosen to do this is because we live in a day and age where we kind of feel like we're chucked into the middle of a bunch of stuff. And we're supposed to like know what to do. And if we don't know what to do from the beginning or in the middle of stuff, it's good to go back and be like, I'm pretty sure God like had a plan. And I think we sort of messed up the plan. But if we go back and look, we can look at God's intention. We can look at, we looked at creation. We looked at the first man and woman and what's, what a relationship looked like before sin was involved. And then what has happened since then, but how still God doesn't let go and doesn't forsake his people, but he walks us through life. Has anybody been stoked on it so far? I've been stoked on it. It's helped me. And so now we're in chapter 26 today. Um, last week, we ended with talking about Abraham. That was the end of kind of Abraham's story for us. And uh, now we move into Abraham's son. Remember last week was, was Abraham sending out his servant, who was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about that's what the bridge is. We're this picture of the ones that God wants to send to get a bride for his son. And what a pleasure that is. And, and now 
um, we looked, but it said, remember, we started when Abraham was really old. Well, if you go, move into chapter 25, is a tr was what's known as like a transitional chapter. It transitions one story to the next. So if you're a Bible reader and you're going through and you're reading the book of Genesis, sometimes you get to these chapters and you're like, hmm, but it's like sort of like this transitional chapter. It talks about everything being passed from Abraham to now his son, Isaac. See, Abraham finally, I won't say finally, but eventually he did die. We're like, finally, <laughs> is this guy ever going to die? Abraham did die another 30 years or so later after um, Rebecca, I'll say her name right this time, after she chose to step out in faith and follow God's calling and come back and, and be wed to Isaac. It was another 30 years or so, and then Abraham did pass away. And in 20, chapter 25, there's just a couple of verses I want to start with that serve as a transition. Check this out. Chapter 25 of Genesis, starting in verse 7. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. That'd be a good way to go. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near, near Mamre in a field of Ephron of son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. I don't know if you guys remember, but when his wife Sarah passed away where they were, he said, let me buy this field. And they were like, no, Abraham, you're Abraham. You know, you can have the field. And he's like, no, let me buy the field. And he bought it So he, in this, this place. I think it was probably a special place that him and his wife shared. And that's where she buried, or he buried his wife. And it's where he wanted to be buried. And so he was buried next to his wife. And it brought his sons who didn't like each other together. Death does that in a strange way. It brings people who are far together even for a short period. But this is how revered and honored Abraham was to his family. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer. Lahai Roy, as every young man's dream. To, where are you from? Beer? <laughs> After Abraham's death, says God blessed Isaac. It was his turn to go from Babylon to blessing. It was his turn to take a stab at this thing called going on after your father to do the next generation. I like to call it his Goonies moment which I feel like this is ours, by the way, if you haven't heard me say it before. This is our time. It's our time down here. And it's all over once we ride up Troy's bucket. It's streaming on Netflix if you haven't seen it. <laughs> but I've always actually loved Isaac's story. We don't have as many details about Isaac as we do his dad, Abraham gets all these chapters. We don't have as much about Isaac's life story as we do his son, Jacob, who will be renamed from Jacob to Israel. And we definitely don't have as much details about um, Isaac as we do Joseph. 
As a matter of fact, we get so kind of little about Isaac, we think of him as a transitional character to get us from Abraham to uh, Jacob and to Joseph. And so we just kind of read past his life. But isn't that sort of what life is if we're real about it? It's sort of generation to generation is one transition to the next. And when you stand back and look at life from a 30,000 foot view, it makes, it, it makes your story in some ways get smaller and smaller and God's story get bigger and bigger. And that's why I love Isaac. Because you remember, he was the promised one. He was the millennial child before there was a millennial child. He got a participation ribbon for everything he did because his parents had to wait till they were 100 years old to have him. And he was an only child. They were, he got everything. You're the one. You're the best ever. You're God's gift to humanity. But then there's like not too much said about him. Perhaps the best thing and the main point of chapter 26, which we'll look at today, is kind of a twofold thing. God's going to show Isaac that he will be faithful to him the way he was faithful to his parents. Wanted Isaac to know that he could trust him. And that there was some stuff he was going to have to go through on his own. It was his turn to go through. That you also, you can trust God, but there's an aspect that you have to exercise your faith in God. The title of this morning's message is called Old Wells and New Wells. We're going to look at three aspects of life in chapter 26. I think it breaks it down pretty clearly. I want to read this text to you, and then I want to make some application from it. I think chapter 26, when it's talking about, this is like the one chapter that talks about Isaac's life, okay? Like him specifically. But there are three things that pretty clearly is talked about here. And here's what they are. His faith, his family, and his fortune. Or you could put finances if you want, but it's kind of like the family business. So we'll call it fortune. So let me, let me read this to you guys. The first part is Isaac's faith. So chapter 26, first six verses says this. Now... There was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. Verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. This is about faith. He's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to stay here in the land. The second part, verses um, 7 through 11, he talks, it's talking about family. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. 
So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, Is she really your wife? She is really. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, This thing that what is this thing that you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and this would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And his fortune. Verse 12, Isaac planted crops in the land the same year and reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow, grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father servants, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of Father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, "Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us." Do you guys catch any similarities in this story, in Isaac's story, to his father's story? It's like, the, this isn't lost on the author. Mirror, uh, mirroring, repeating is for a reason. It's almost like carbon copy of dad in some ways. A famine in the land. It even says, now there was a famine in the land. Not the one that Abraham did, another one. And so he was going to go to Egypt, which is what Abraham did. Then God speaks to him. We'll talk about it. Then he says his wife is his sister. There's so many he deceived in order to, for self-preservation, for survival. Did what he had to do to get by. Work the system so we could get by. There's so many similarities from Abraham to Isaac that Isaac's story gets overlooked and passed over. But there's something awesome that we want to camp out on this morning. That we're going to learn from. And what it is, it's not the stuff that happened to him, but his response to it. As I was reading this, these next verses, they just jumped out at me, and this is where we're going to camp. Check this out, verse 17. So all of that stuff had happened. So Isaac moved away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar where he had settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names that his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, this water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sita, Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. And he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room 
and we will flourish in the land. A couple more verses. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Kind of his whole life, from probably his, I don't know, 40s, 50s, something, somewhere in there, all the way into now, starting in the next chapter, it's going to focus on his kids. So we kind of get like this. That's why we read such a big text. You kind of get like this big thing. It was, everything was passed to him. Now he's getting ready to pass it on. What happened in this time? I want to say there are three things that Isaac did in his response that I think we should highlight and just sit in this morning that the Lord might want for us. The first thing he did. Isaac honored the good that he had learned. You know, one thing when a new generation comes, when a new someone comes up, there can be this tendency to like talk down on old people. Man, you don't know. You're old. Your shoes have Velcro. Actually, Velcro is cool again. So you'd be, you would be hip if your shoes had Velcro. There's also a sense that people who have been around for a minute, when the young come up, that we tend to look down at them and we're like, you just don't know. You have no experience. And the young person's going, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you don't give me a chance? And so there's this great divorce when the generations are supposed to have this beautiful marriage. It's supposed to be like you get young zeal and, and this, and then the older, more experienced people bring them on. It's called apprenticeship. It's called discipleship. It's called life. It's called things that I sometimes think generations that have gone before us have gotten better, have done better than maybe we have. It's a grandpa hanging out with their grandkids. It's grandma showing, passing on the family recipe and then watching that, that young woman who learned it grow and make something for her family and just like, oh, my grandma taught me that. There were things that Isaac got from his dad and from his mom and dad that were worth carrying on. There was things that he learned from, that Abraham and Sarah patterned in their life that was worth carrying on that tradition, that he needed to put into practice in his own life. I heard it said in the, recently, I think it was in that quarterback show, but it said something about when Sunday comes around, you never rise to the occasion, you always fall to your training. Have you ever heard that before? Like we all want these big moments in life where we're like, boom, if this happened, this is what I would do. But the reality is, when the situation comes along, we never rise to the occasion. We fall to our training, the things that have been put in practice already. He fell to his training. He fell to the things that he learned from his dad. What did he learn from his dad? He learned the family business. 
It says he prospered greatly. He knew how to shepherd. He knew how to work hard. He had a good work ethic. That is a thing that was really cool. He knew where to dig. Oh, let's dig here. Worked for dad. This is what dad passed on. This is what mom and dad did. Says that he was blessed in his work. He learned the business. What do sheep need? Water. And he also knew this. Wells don't dig themselves. So I would assume that he was fine with having some calluses on his hands and, and getting out there and working hard to make stuff happen. It says that he reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. That's a profound thing. This is what dad called it. This is how it was in the old days, and I'm going to step into how it was in the old days and continue that on. He wanted to honor that which was good and what he learned. When we step into and honor those that have gone before us, it's, it says a couple of things. It says that we are not the first ones to try to navigate the complexities of life. Other people have gone through it. And sometimes the, those that have gone before us, even if they're not as cool as you or whatever, they have some pretty cool tips. The best thing that young people coming up can have is a humble spirit when it comes to those that have gone before. If you want to learn cool stuff, God promises he will show you what he asks is for a humility about you. One way you can be humble is show honor to those that have gone before you. Every parent in here is like, preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. I've been saying this every day. There were things that worked for mom and dad that worked for him. My parents trusted God and it worked out. As parents, is that not what we want for our children? Maybe that could just as a side point, that could be something that we talk about. What is it that I really, we really want to pass on to our kids? Do we want to pass on all the stuff that's wrong with the world and how screwed up everything is? Or do we want to pass on God will see you through? God provided for us in our time. He will provide for you in your time. Isaac honored the past. The second thing that he did, he honored the good that he had learned. The second thing that he had did is he let go of the past. Wait, I thought he honored the past. How can you honor the past and let go of the past? Welcome to life. Listen to this. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a fresh well of water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those, quarreled, not quarreled. They, they fought with those of Isaac and they said this, this water is ours. So he named that well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So they named it Sitna. You know, it's a hard thing 
learning new lessons. It's a harder thing when you're not asking for it. They're just sort of forced upon you. Wasn't asking for that. Appreciate it. It's just sort of you're trying to do the right thing and then there's coral. No doubt Isaac had heard the story from his parents on when there was a famine. Back in our day, you call this a famine? In our day, now that was a famine. Everywhere you walked was uphill. You couldn't find a grain of rice. He had heard about it, if his mom and dad were honest with him, and he had heard what a complete junk show it turned into when they decided to go to Egypt to flee the famine and not stay where God asked them to stay. All the hardship that came their way and the drama that came their way. And isn't it funny that Isaac's first inclination amongst when the hardship hit was go to Egypt. It was like the no brain, it was the default mode. It's what mom and dad did, here's some good stuff. But when stuff got hard, when it was really hard, this is what they did. So it was his default mode. He was on his way to Egypt. And that's when God stopped and said, wait, no, don't go to Egypt. Stay here. So he stays. Starts I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay. Here's what I think dad would have done. Dig some wells. Dig up this well. People come along. What are you doing? Digging a well. It was dirt. No, this is our well. No, I just... We just did it. This is our well. So he named the well Essek. Like, what the heck does Essek mean? It means hostility. And he's like, fine, we'll move on. You go to this next one. You're trying to do the right thing. God said, stay. I'm trying to do it. You go dig this next well. People come, same thing. That's ours. No, it's not. We just dug it, spent all this time. And then they kick you out of there, too. So they named it Essek. Sitna, which means contention. Just as there are some things worth digging up and keeping alive, the reality is there are some things that need to be filled in and moved on from. Things that we try to keep alive, but they bring nothing but contention and hostility. Bad patterns, bad habits. Things that worked for a time, maybe things that our parents did, but God is calling you into a new path. I believe this is a word for somebody, and I just want to share it. Sometimes old wells need to be filled in so new ones can be discovered. There have been things you've been drawing from, and it's brought life, and it's brought what you need, but now there's hostility and contention around those, and it's like, what the heck, man? And I believe that God is allowing things to be filled in because he wants to call you to a new place to dig out something on your own. I heard a pastor one time say, it stuck with me, it was years ago. He took over a church, um, this big church, and he had been church planning and pastoring small churches, and, and he took over this church, and he remembers He was after service one day and he was sitting there and he was in the lobby and he said, I looked up on the wall and it's like I saw the guy, his predecessors, like it's like I saw his handprint on the wall. I think he said footprint. Let me get my my metaphors straight here. He goes, I saw his footprint on the wall and he goes, and it was, it was huge. 
And it was sort of like I put my foot in his and it didn't even come close. Like his was way out here and mine was like this little thing. And in his heart, he goes, God, I will never be able to fill this man's shoes. And he said, God spoke to him and said, I didn't ask you to fill in his footprint, but to just put your footprint next to his. It's not like he said it freed him up. It gave him so much just freedom to just be himself. Sometimes as we are growing and learning and stepping into new things and we're discovering contention and hostility, maybe there are things that that our parents said we need to let go of. I'll tell you this. Every premarital thing that I do, there are things that people want to honor their mom and dad with. What do you want to see modeled in your marriage that you see in your mom and dad? Always something. It's usually around hard work, work ethic. I hear this a lot. Dads, we think that we know we don't measure up, but more often than not, from the, the, the weddings that I've done, I hear stuff like, I want to... I want to work hard and provide. I see, I see how my parents have sacrificed. I want, I want to do that. That's pretty cool. Then when you say, well, what do you see in your parents' marriage that you don't want to replicate in theirs? I promise you they always have an answer. <laughs> and here's what it is. It's always the same. We want to be more affectionate with one another. We want to show our love to one another. There are things that people want, their kids want to learn from you, want to carry on. There's also things that they want to strike out and do on their own. And I had a whole big sub point on the whole. Abimelech looked out and saw Isaac caressing Rebecca. But I I ditched that because I just didn't have time. We'll save that for a marriage conference. But there are things that God is calling you to do to strike out on your own that are going to be new. I'm going to give you a personal example. When, when me and Steph got married, um, I never met my, my real dad. I Well, my father. I'll say I have a real dad. He adopted me when I was real little. And his name is Jeff, and he's awesome, and he lives in Dallas. And, uh, but my, my mom, they, they ended up getting divorced, and... I moved to Colorado with my mom, where I saw my mom, you know, date different people. She was looking, trying to find love, trying to find belonging, trying to find acceptance. I didn't grow up in the church. It wasn't part of my history. I got saved when I was 17. That was when I was introduced to Jesus for the first time. And I was kind of like, man, Jesus is like way cooler than I thought he was going to be. Anyways, I give my life to the Lord, and he's doing this radical work in my heart. So hard, you can't put words around it. If you've experienced, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I don't know what to say. It's like I'm really screwed up, and it's for good. And I remember going to college. That was never part of the plan for me. But I went, and I met Steph. And we were best friends forever. Long story short, we get married. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But I remember one of our first fights as a married couple. I don't remember which one it was. I couldn't tell you what we were arguing about. I couldn't tell you what it was. But I remember what I said. And then I remember what she said. 
Here's what I said. Maybe it was in the uh, effort, being a, the quick-witted person that I am, I can think on my toes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And I said something to the effect of, oh, I guess what, we just get divorced now? And I'll never forget her face. I'll leave out the expletive. But she said, don't you ever say that to me again. There were patterns. Here's the point. Hopefully you're following along. There were patterns that I had seen played out for me that I thought were part of my story too. And after that happened, I remember God spoke to me, and this is what he said. It stops with you. The brokenness, the cycles, the destructive thoughts, the destructive lifestyle, the whatever it is, if you allow God to fill in the things that are bringing hostility and contention and you continue to keep going, God will provide new opportunities. But there are things that it's up to you to let go of. How do you know the difference? How do I know what I'm supposed to hold on to? And how do I know what I'm supposed to let go of? I'm so glad you asked. The third thing Isaac did and the final thing that we'll talk about this morning is he really trusted God with his future. He trusted God with his faith. He stayed in Gerar. He trusted God with his family. He came clean to Abimelech and chose his wife over, over himself. He, he trusted God with his business. So much so that it says Abimelech eventually came to him and be like, yo, we see that God's favor is upon you. How is that possible? Make a deal with us. Don't be mean to us. Sorry we were mean to you. He made him a leader, a pillar. Verse 22. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over this one. And then Isaac named it. You know what he called it? Really cool name. Rehoboth. You know what that means. No, we don't. You know what it means? It means, well, he actually says it. Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish here. See, they moved on and they dug something new just on their own. They used good patterns they learned from the past, had to let go of some stuff, kept moving, kept trusting, dug this one. And now the Lord was like, right there. This is your area. Yes, you're passing on from your father to your son. Rebecca, yes, you're learning from Sarah and your family, but passing on to the daughters that you will have, this is your spot. There is room for you here. He kept moving and kept digging. He had to learn some things on his own, but he learned God made room for you here. Made him a leader in the community. It wasn't just Isaac, Abraham's son. He was the one that people came and say, man, how did you get where you're at? This is the small business owner that started out with nothing, scrapping along. Some of you can relate, but you just kept going. You kept trusting God, and now you're in the place where people are like, hey, how did you build what you built? And your answer is, dude, I don't know. I kept going and kept trusting God, kept honoring him with my family, my time, my finances, our resources, being a blessing. And look at what God has done. He's made room for us here. 
Some of you need to hear that because you've been clawing and scratching and trying to build something for your out, and it's nothing but hostility and strife. And God is like, maybe I got something else for you. A couple of concluding thoughts. In the Bible, maybe some of you already know where I'm going with this. In the Bible, water is a picture of life. It is for us too, but especially in the Bible, this is a, a barren zone. Not like here. We got plenty of water last night. So much water that if you live in the city, you have water in your basement probably this morning. But well, but wells, when you dig wells, the water's underground, you got to get to it. It represents life. It's a picture of refreshment. When you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, when water is talked about, it's, it symbolizes life. It symbolizes being refreshed. Read Exodus when they come to this place of refreshment and there's water. God provides for them water. It also represents, excuse me, cleansing. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Husbands, you can wash your wives. Um, it says with uh, the life that comes from the word of God. doesn't mean to like correct her or be mean. It means like to be a blessing, the things that you speak to your wife. It's also probably clearest a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It's a symbol of all of these things, and then it's represented in the person of the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity of God. This is a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Cleanse you. Provide nourishment and life. Um, refresh you. That's what Jesus was saying when he said this. Jesus, when he was here, he, he went to this uh, festival in Jerusalem. And in this festival, it was a seven-day festival, and every single day a priest would come into the courtyard with a pitcher of water and would pour it over this thing. I'm drawing a blank on exactly how it went. It was really cool and very symbolic. And they would come in and pour the water over this thing. And then on the seventh day, the final day, seven means completion, they would do it seven times. They would pour this water. And it says that when Jesus was there during the Feast of Tabernacles, I think, he stood up right here. Verse 37, John 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, as they were pouring out the water, it says, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's this picture of like what Jesus has a desire to do in your life. Now for some of us, when we look back at our past, and I know many of our stories in here, you were not given a good pattern to follow. When you think about your past and your childhood, your dad was not Abraham. Your mom was not Sarah. They didn't provide you with knowledge on how to carry on the family business. You think about your past and it's freaking trauma. And it's strife. And it's painful. And you don't want to think about it. I know what that feels like. 
I also know what it is that as you let God do something in your life, you can actually look back and be like, dang, I did learn that. That was good. Man, she really was trying. She was doing everything she actually knew how to do. And then I see stuff from my mom's shoes, and I was like, dang, man, that would have been hard to be her. Single mom, blah, 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 all this stuff. The patterns, when we come out of situations like that, the patterns we put into ourselves, they turn out to destroy us, do they not? Because we're always trying to escape our past. Our go-to response is escape hardship. Freaking Egypt, where's it at? Give me some escape. I just want to tell you there are lies that you have been trained to believe in your life. It's time to stop believing about yourself, about your worth, about your capabilities, about what God might want to do in your life. Those are lies. It's time to stop believing those. Time to stop believing the lie about how to find success, what success looks like. More money, more water, more wells. That's my well. I don't care if it's called strife and contention. I want it. For others, your parents passed a lot of good on to you. So much so that you can be scared to step out on your own. And you can live in us just how they always did it. So much so that you will stay and have strife and hostility and contention instead of the freedom to go and let God carve out a new place for you when he's trying to fill some stuff in so you can step out and he can say, look at what God started when it was your turn. You're trying to do just like them and you end up fighting and striving and missing out on the new things God wants you to step into. The thing about drinking fresh water that God provides is that you can start a new legacy. But we can't do it on our own. We need the helper, the Holy Spirit. And stepping out in faith and responding to God is believing that that's what God wants for you. So you can believe it, but until you step out into it, you don't believe it. Because faith is stepping out into a perceived outcome. I think about Sundays. So my, I think about Sundays. Culturally, are Sundays where stuff starts or where stuff ends? Oftentimes, I think it's where stuff ends. It's like we did the whole week and we come crashing into church, and it's just like, man, week was, you know, whatever, but here I am, leave my problems out the door and come in and let's worship God. And then I'll go back out and deal with that stuff. And I think sometimes we come in with the wrong thing. Like, I'm going to respond today and this thing needs to end. This thing in my life, it needs to end. But what if it's where God wants to begin something? It's where the Holy Spirit wants to do that work where rivers of water come out and something new starts. Where you leave here today and you're not a failure. You're not a victim of your circumstances. You're not a jerk to your community either. You're just you following the Lord, 
being refreshed by who he is, you have something to offer the world. You have honor to show to someone else. You have things to learn. You have things to provide. It's the dopest thing to watch someone. It's called wisdom. When someone goes from a place of where they didn't know how to do it to where they're now showing someone else what they've learned. It says in the Bible, the person who does that, they're like a well unto another person. They're like little versions of God in the world that like their lives represent what God can do. So we're going to end this morning by starting something new. I want to offer you a chance to be filled with the Spirit. So what it says we need, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So we're going to stand up and start dancing. I'm just kidding. This is something that's going on inside of you. So I don't know where you're at, but I know that you need the Holy Spirit. That's one thing I do know, because I do too. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, if any of this spoke to you, and if in your life you need to stop believing something that's a lie, or you need to start believing something that is true, I want to ask you to respond by simply holding a hand in the air, that, which represents saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because God says, if you ask, you will receive. So if you're in that place where you're like, I've been doing this, it's bringing contention and strife in my home and in my marriage, with my family, at work, just in my own mind and in my own heart. If that's where you're at and you're just like, Lord, please fill me with more of who you are, then I want to ask you to raise a hand in response. And I just want to pray for you as we end this morning. You're just saying, Lord, do for me what I can't do for myself. I believe that you want to do good stuff. Even if part of your history is bad things have happened from church or from people who were, said they were Christians or said they walked with God and, and they made you think that God wasn't good but that he was mad at you and was trying to smack you down by raising your hand, you're just opening up your heart and just saying, if you're good and you want to do good, I want to receive that. Because I promise you, if you ask God to come into your life, show you more of himself, he says he's faithful to his promises. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. I just want to pray for each hand in this room that is in the air. I want to pray for each person in this room. They're here. There's a curiosity, at least, as to who you are and what you're doing. And I know many of us, we've been coming in here together for a long time. And we're in this thing, Lord, called life, and we're trying to not escape and go to the, the things that the world offers, but we're trying to honor you and stay in the land that you have called us and believe that you will bless us in this place. So, Lord, we raise up our hands to you. It's just a sign of this is my life, this is my heart, this is my family. And we're asking that you would come in, that, you would, that there would be a filling of your presence, a filling of your power, of your guidance, of your instruction. You're a good teacher. We're just kind of bad learners sometimes. So help us to hear your voice, to recognize your direction. May it begin today. May we we'd be like, yeah, I was, we leave here going, I am filled 
with the Spirit of God. And if anyone has never done that before and you're asking God to come into your life for the first time, then just recognize before God that, that he knows and you don't. He's right and you're wrong. He's good and you're not. And that's like beautiful. It's a surrendering to who he is. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We're so pumped we get to be here. We're gonna sing this song just as a response to you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.